why do you think you, your career started accelerating? I feel it's because I was I was more outspoken, right? I was getting my opinions. I was I was being more authentic at work. I remember like I remember growing this beard was like a, a sign of me being a rebel against the old me. And because I always wanted to be very clean cut, right? At work, oh, always clean cut, looking nice. And then I said, you know what? F that, I'm just gonna grow a beard. I always wanted to do it. And I remember growing a beard at work and coming in to work with a beard and, and like as a form of like rebellion, like like I'm this new person now. And I thought that it was gonna like hinder me from a lot of things, and he did it. It was like the complete opposite, like because of the negative thoughts that we talked ourselves into. Yeah, yeah like no it, one, no one told you that you were no just one make, told, right. three months after me getting this beard. Like I remember getting promoted and becoming an art director and managing a creative team, and I'm like, oh my god, like this whole time, I could have just been myself, right? And the more that I became myself, the more successful I felt, and also the more at peace I felt with myself. Dímelo, dímelo, mi gente. What's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quintueras Podcast brought to you by Plural. As a quick reminder, on this podcast, the mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a different guest join us for a very candid conversation around their experience between professionalism and authenticity. The goal is to give you the right representation to help you feel empowered, inspired, to start finally being your most authentic self regardless of where you are speaking of guests on this week's episode we are joined by barney abramson who was actually born in the dominican republic and raised there until the age of 10 him as well as his family then migrated to the united states in the late 80s settling in lawrence massachusetts which if you've ever been might as well be Dominican Republic number two. In 2002, he graduated from Bridgewater State University with a dual bachelor's in fine arts and corporate communications. Since then, he's been working as a graphic designer and most recently as a creative manager in the wonderful city of Las Vegas. For a full bio and description of Barney, please be sure to check out the show notes of this week's episode. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Barney is, Let's get into the episode. All right. So let's kick it off where we always do with the word authenticity. It's a buzzword. You probably hear it all the time. Absolutely. But when you hear it, what does it mean to you? I think authenticity really is about being true to yourself. I think that a lot of the times we think of authenticity as like an outward thing, the way you talk, the way you look, the way you act, where I feel like authenticity really starts within so it's like being comfortable with who you are, understanding your likes, dislikes, having boundaries. I think all these things really start creating kind of like a safe space for you to be yourself. And then that eventually starts coming out in the way you talk and you dress and your ideas and how you interact with other people. So to me, really, authenticity starts within. And it, it really is about being yourself and not being controlled or or acting in a way that it's not true to who you are because of where you are. So that's kind of how I see it. Do you feel like you were controlled a lot growing up? I mean, I wasn't controlled growing up per se when it comes to growing up with my family or growing up in Lawrence, which is where I'm from, and which is like a small immigrant town north of Boston. So I felt like my entire childhood and even 
into my teenage years, I was just myself, right? I uh, grew up around a, a very immigrant community, very Latino, Puerto Rican, Dominican community. So talking the way that I talked, having an accent, being a short guy, looking the way that I looked, having my lineup or my fade, to, the, to me, those things were normal, right? And it really wasn't until I went to college that I realized, like, wait a minute, like, like, like this is different than what I than what I expected. And that was kind of the first time that I remember being different and in a huge way. And, and so obviously we, when that happened, you find ways to cope and ways to kind of get through, through your day. Right. So definitely you try to well, before, go, go for it. before, before getting into the coping, like what was that moment when you realized like I'm different compared to everyone else? Oh gosh, I mean, in college, I remember, I mean, first of all, I went to Bridgewater University. It's a, a small school south of Boston. It's a predominantly white school. Aren't and, they all? <laughs> uh, I think, God, I think the population, minority population back then was like 13%, maybe less. So definitely going there, I realized like, wait a minute, I'm not like everyone else. And I had two white roommates my first year. So for sure, I felt like, okay, I need to do what they're doing in order to get ahead. So for a while, I would just kind of follow them around because I felt like that was how I was going to make friends and how I was going to kind of get around and, and get ahead. And and I remember, I think the one thing I remember the most, I was speaking English all day long. I've never done that. It's like, oh my God, I got to speak English from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed every day from now on. And to me, that was like mind blowing. So growing up, it was tough. so growing up, how often did you speak English? So I was born in the Dominican Republic, I uh, moved to uh, Lawrence when I was, I believe, like 10, 11 years old. And, uh, and Lawrence might as well be Dominican Republic. Might as well. Back <laughs> then, it was a, like a defined split. It was like 49% Puerto Rican, 49% Dominican. And there was like that, that 2% of everyone else. So yeah, growing up in Lawrence, you would go to a store, a bodega, you would go down the street. You went to the barbershop, even in school, right? Like everyone spoke Spanish. And I mean, obviously I learned how to speak English and I was fluent and I felt like I could handle myself, but it, it, it wasn't necessary. And even back then, my, my English was kind of broken. So everyone's English was broken. So it was like, that's how we talk. And that's, that was fine. And then it wasn't until I found myself in like an all white environment that I realized like, wait a minute, I, I sound different. Like I remember people saying like, can you say that again? Can you say that again? And I'm like, like, what am I doing that it's not like resonating with you? And then I realized like someone said, hey, Barney, you have an accent. And I was like, what? I just didn't know that, man. I was like. And that's the first time you've heard someone tell you something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And feeling like, oh, wait a minute. I, I do have an accent. Of course I do. Right. And I am different. I just didn't. Before then, I, I didn't. I really didn't know. Did not know. So, yeah, so it, was, it was eye opening for me. So what were some of those things that I think you started alluding to the fact that you started to feel like you had to assimilate sure. or you had to fit in and follow your roommates around and kind of right. do some of the things that, that they were doing? Like, what did you start doing? God, I mean, everything from just following them around. I was very quiet. I would just kind of listen. I was always listening. I remember starting to speak like they were speaking, using the same kind of terminology, only kind of going to like white parties and just doing like everything they were doing because I felt like, hey, these are my roommates. They're kind of looking out for me, which I appreciate it. 
Uh, but I felt like it was a safe space for me to be as long as they, they were around. I also feel like like we we I wasn't prepared to go to college. I mean, I was maybe prepared because of my grades, but I just didn't know how that environment worked. I was the first person in my family to go to college, so I didn't have someone to tell me, hey, this is what you're going to expect, right? So for yeah. me, kind of clinging on to someone was my way to to kind of get through it. So the way I spoke, the way I acted, I'm sure the way I dressed changed a little bit just to get through the day, for sure. So in what ways do you think you, the way you spoke or, or dressed changed? Like, give me some examples. Were there certain words that, that you picked <clears throat> up or you were like, yo, I can't believe I used to say that? Well, the word wicked. I'd never used the word wicked. <laughs> I've heard it a million times. I had a lot of Irish friends growing up in Boston and New England. So, but I'd never, like, I just, I would never use that word. And then one day I said wicked and I was like, wait a minute. Like, I would just, if I wasn't Lauren saying wicked, I definitely, my card would be removed from my back pocket. So, so yeah, I mean, things like that. I started using words like that. And I remember my, my, my wardrobe obviously changed just less baggier clothes, uh, a lot more t-shirts, <laughs> just yeah, things yeah. like that, that I, I typically wouldn't have done before. I noticed I started doing that just to, to feel included and feel, and feel part of the kind of the group. One, one other thing, which is kind of weird. I didn't drink till I went to college. And even though my family was, they were Dominicans, right? We, every party, everybody's <laughs> drinking. And it just wasn't something that I did. I just, I was a kind of happy-go-lucky guy growing up. So I didn't need that extra kind of boost. And then I remember like my roommates for like an entire semester, they wanted to get me drunk. They're like, we're going to get this guy drunk one, uh, one time. Me too. And I remember kind of falling into the peer pressure and saying, hey, you know what? Everyone's drinking. I might as well do it because... They're having a good time and I need to kind of be part of this group. So I remember having my first drink my freshman year college. You know what? Same thing for me. I actually, I lasted the entire freshman year without drinking. And sophomore year, it like when I had my first drink, people were like, what? Oh, you did it without me? I was supposed to be there. Like it was this big thing of like, well, I had his first drink. Absolutely. But that's funny too. Because I mean, I mean, to this day, my mom, if I go over and visit her or in the on the weekend she like oh pasame una fria yeah yeah yeah, yeah always it's, it's just like a, a thing but it's interesting too like those are such like formidable years and i think it's natural to want to try different things right Absolutely like everybody right. should try things right i think there becomes a point where you try things and you're like this is cool i actually like this i'm gonna Absolutely. continue doing it but then there becomes a point where you try it you don't like it but you continue to do it just for the idea of like, well, if I continue to do this, maybe I'll fit in. Right. right? Like there's a difference. Right. And I think both things maybe were happening at the same time. I think mm -hmm. part of it was me being kind of growing up and kind of going into college and becoming a bit more of an adult, right? And trying different things. And then a lot of it was the peer pressure of wanting to assimilate and be part of a group, right? Mm -hmm. So I do feel like both were happening. So I don't want to blame it all on my environment. But I do feel like there were things that I didn't feel that I wanted to do that I probably wouldn't have done if it wasn't because I was in an environment that I felt like I needed to fit in. Right. And it's natural. That's a natural yeah. desires to fit in. Like even absolutely at every age, we want to be part of a group. Like I don't think humans are designed many times to like be alone. No, but no, it's interesting too. like you mentioned that pressure. I'm sure that didn't go away once you left college and started working. Right. Like when you thought about careers in college, 
and you even saw people growing up, like what sort of representation career wise did you see growing up and what sort of ideas did you have for a career when you were in college? God. So, I mean, I, I feel like I had a very defined path when it came to what I wanted, mm -hmm. I wanted to do, I think. So my dad, who was like your typical immigrant entrepreneur, I do it all. I figure everything out type of guy. He, had, for, for a while there, he had a TV show, like a mm -hmm. local TV show, like the public network. And I, I was like his cameraman, his video producer. I was an editor. I did it all with him, right? So when I went to college, I knew that I wanted to be a video producer. I wanted to be in video production. So I knew that. And I went to Bridgewater because of their program, right? So that was definite. I knew that's what I wanted to do. So that did eventually change. But I had a very defined idea of what I wanted. And I also felt like education and going to college and things like that were something that my my dad and my mom, I just, I had to do it. Like there was no other choice. I knew that I, they sacrificed so much. So I knew that this is something that was kind of my responsibility. So going to college and, and, and going, becoming a video producer or being into in TV somehow was something that I knew I wanted to do. I also felt like I saw my dad working so hard and I'm like, oh, I got to complete his vision. Like he wanted to be this big TV guy. So maybe I could do that for him. Right. So I did have that pressure. So I knew what I wanted to do. I definitely took a, a left turn there and I did other things, but I, I, I was very defined in, in why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Interesting. But even in that, though, like, did your dream, were your dreams and aspirations to work for like this big network? Because your dad was also an entrepreneur as right. well. So were you thinking more like, I'm going to create my own thing or I'm going to get the skills that I was already working on with my dad, but more so work for one of these like really big media companies? Right. I don't know. I, I, I can't. Thinking back at the time, I thought if I go to my dad's doing this video TV show thing, I can go to college, come back, and then he and I can just do this better. That was kind of my initial thought, right? And then I also felt like even if that doesn't work, I can always, you know, work for a company. I remember MTV was so big back then. So I was like, yeah. yo, I could be working for MTV right now. So yeah, so that was part of it too. I thought if it didn't work out at home, I would always get a job. But for sure, video production was that thing that kind of got me to go to college. Got it. All right. Yeah. So there you are kind of like on this path and you have like your first corporate experience. Right. What was that like? A bit of the same. <laughs> so working, I, I worked for a pharmaceutical company in, in Massachusetts and it was a bit of the same. I remember being like the only person of color in the entire team, the only person of color in the entire department, really, if I think about it. And then it wasn't until... I remember I went like one random day, we had a company event and there was another Dominican lady that worked at a different department. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm not the only one here. And so, but yeah, it was a, a bit more of the same. I think by then I was more accustomed to dealing with that kind of setup. I was a bit more confident with, about myself when I got to that space. So I knew like, okay, I know how to handle this. I know how to deal with white folks. Like I know what to say, I know what to do. I know how to get, I keep myself out of trouble kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, I remember being the only like Latino, only kind of black guy in like the entire building. Like I would walk around wow. and I wouldn't see anyone else that was like me wow. besides that one lady. So yeah, so it, it was a, a learning curve for me as well. Like how to 
deal in that professional environment, but also also being like the only person of color there. I, I'll tell you a funny story. God, I don't even know if I want to say this story, but I, I'll go for it. <laughs> so, so this place is a pharmaceutical company. So they used to do testing on animals, obviously. Like, mm-hmm, I know it sounds terrible, but like, it was just a job, right? And mm-hmm. I didn't know much about the job. I was a creative person. I thought, hey, I'm working in marketing. I'm doing creative things. I don't have to think about everything else, right? And then, so one day I go to the cafeteria, which I had never been to the cafeteria. I would always go to lunch outside or go back home or whatever. So I go to the cafeteria and there's like probably like 30, 40 like Latinos, Dominican mostly in the cafeteria. And and I remember walking in and they were making fun of me because I had my shirt, my button up, I had my slacks and my shirt was tucked in and they were all wearing like kind of like regular like uniform, right? And I found out that basically all the Latinos used to work with the animals in like the warehouse. So their job was to like care for the animals. And and they would, I hate to say this, but they would call themselves Los Sacacaca because they would spend a lot of time like cleaning the cages and all that. So they were like, so they would be like, are you a Sacacaca? And I'm like, yo, no, that's not me. But anyways, like that's when I realized But then also the separation, right? Like the blue collar workers were like very separated from like white color workers in the office. And I, I was like, I started to kind of realize like, wait a minute, there's like definitely a separation here. And I felt like in a way, like I'm lucky to be on this side. So I might as well like really behave and make sure like I follow the path. I do everything I got to do not to like mess this up. So that um, was always a thing that was kind of always brewing in, inside of me. Yo, and for those of you that don't know what Saka Kaka means... <laughs> That means the people that take the shit out. Yes. Like man. the doo-doo, the doo-doo out. I listen, I didn't want to tell a story, but it came out. Wow. <laughs> How did that make you feel knowing or just like walking around and looking around and like not seeing anyone that looked like you? I mean, isolated for sure. I felt very isolated. I felt like like I didn't have an opinion. I didn't have I was pretty much just a worker. So like my job was just to do the work. Because these white folks kind of had the idea and I was just the person doing the work. And I mean, I was young in my career. I was a junior designer. I, I was learning. It was my first kind of professional job out of college. So that kind of had to do with a lot, had a lot to do with it. Right. But wait, but, but you said, but it's not like you didn't have an opinion. You did have it. But I are did. you saying that you were just scared to share it? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I, I didn't feel like what, anything I had to say would, would move the needle right so i was just kind of following the path and just just kind of getting through the day and i mean i didn't feel at the time i didn't feel like it was a bad thing i felt like i was happy to have my first professional job i was happy to get like a real check i felt like i made it like hey i this is exactly what you do you come to america you go to college you get a job and you get a check and then that's it and if i got to do all these other things that's okay i go home i can eat my I can dance merengue and that that stays at home. But over here, I'm the professional guy. I talk professionally. I act professionally and I don't like I don't let it slip type of thing. So for a while, that was me. But I, I'm so curious about that idea of they're not going to take my opinion seriously or they're not going to care. Like how much of that do you think was a story you were telling yourself or did you try at any point and right. no one listened to you? Like how much of it was that? 
Right. Well, so this is back to my earlier point about authenticity starting within. So mm -hmm. I do feel like a lot of it was kind of a narrative that I had in my own head, right? Mm -hmm. I think the way we grew up, I grew up in an environment where, especially coming to the U.S., we were kind of told to kind of assimilate, right? And also, you were told that from family. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that was the the expectation, right? That you would just become Americanized as much as possible. Obviously, not forgetting who you are and your background, but when you were put into this environment, you had to be Americanized, all for sure. So, so that idea was kind of, I just, it was just the environment told me to do this, and that's how I acted for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. But did you ever try at any point to share your opinion? And the reason I'm asking is because I've been in situations that many people, it's like you say something, no one listens, but then someone else says the same exact thing you just said. You're like, I, I just said that. Like, did, no, did you experience any of those? No, to me, I think I was literally always in my head. Like mm. I would say things in my head and then someone else would say it. And I'm like, damn it, I should have said something. I should have said that. But yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. it's okay because I'm not here to say things. Right. So mm. I, but I remember like constantly, like I would have this, like the person that I wanted to be, it was talking in my head, but I just wouldn't, I didn't have that. And maybe I was a shy guy. I never thought I was, but I, I wouldn't really make myself speak or give my opinion. I, I just didn't do that. And I do feel part of it was my own internal insecurities about being an immigrant, about having an accent, about being Latino, about being the only black person in the room. I think all these voices in your head are telling you like, hey, don't mess this up, right? So I'm like, I'm just gonna do what I know works. And that's kind of the narrative that was going in my head at, at all times. Yeah, and you're not alone in that. And it's interesting that all of the ideas and the thoughts that we have in our head, they're never, good things like they're always the worst case scenarios like right. we never tell ourselves like oh if i speak up in this meeting i'm gonna yeah I'm gonna, everyone's gonna agree i'm gonna get a promotion it's always like no one's gonna care no one's gonna listen right. let someone else have the idea like we never right. tell ourselves the it, it's just always yeah. worst case scenario unfortunately oh yeah yeah i, I think for a very long time i felt that way and and yeah so the insecurity was real but i think in addition to me being insecure, I think there was a lot of things outside that were kind of telling me, this is the way forward. This is how you get ahead. This is how you keep this job. This is how you eventually get promoted. Just kind of by kind of keeping my mouth shut and just doing the work. So who was, who did you go to for like advice or guidance or to even like share some of these experiences at that point? So at work, I, I don't think I've ever had a mentor at work or anyone really guide me, maybe later in the later years, but definitely my dad was kind of that source. I, you know, I don't know, but for me, like my dad was like my superhero, right? So I felt like he was so wise. So for me, he was kind of that, my source of like, okay, if he tells me to do it, that's what I'm going to do. And he was always just a very wise guy. So I always felt like I can always go and talk to him and he would kind of put me on the right path. I mean, I think in college I had some professors that maybe guided me in, in some ways, but I feel like I really thought, I always felt like my family was a, my, my, my unit, my place of comfort, the place that I could be myself. And I felt protected in that environment. So for sure, my dad was kind of that source for me. Yeah, but it's a tough spot though, right? Because our family as 
as successful as they've been, as much wisdom as they've accumulated throughout the years, like they haven't been right in those same rooms that you've been in. Like they haven't even gone to the college that you've been to. So it's tough because like they're giving you some advice, but you're like, but you don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And like, is this even applicable anymore? I remember when I quit my first job to get another one and my mom was like freaking out. She was like, why would you quit? And I, meanwhile, I like crazy increase salary wise. But even the idea of like leaving one job after like two years, like yeah. blew her mind. It's right. So, yeah. But here we are, people that we look up to, people that we like love and value their opinion. Right. It's like, damn, should I even still take their advice? And right. then we can't ask any coworkers because we feel isolated. No one right. looks like us. And then maybe our friends, they may have cool internships and jobs, but it's not this huge pharmaceutical company, right? So right. it's it's a very isolating experience where sometimes you just got to make a judgment call for yourself. Absolutely. I Absolutely. I felt like that, at that time, I felt like there was a lot of things that I was just testing out. I'm like, I'm just going to do this thing and see what happens. And then the next thing I'm like, I'm just going to do it and then just see what happens. It's not like now we have YouTube, we have podcasts, sure. yeah. we have blogging and articles. And obviously the so the needle has moved when it comes to like, social issues. So I, we see this now and we hear it and we, we know like we have a way forward. I, I don't think we, we didn't have that back then. I think we, no. if you didn't have a friend or a family member who knew how to do something, you would just probably not try it. And if he did, you were probably the first one doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, so again, being the first person to go to college in my family, the first person to have a white collar job mm. in my family, the, these are the things that I had to kind of figure out on my own. Right. So yeah. I think it's interesting that you said you started like testing certain things. And I think everybody does that. Like no one just goes from one day to the next from like faking it to being their most authentic self. Right. We start testing certain things to be like, oh, shit, they didn't say anything. All right. Let me keep testing and testing until we are the people that we grow into. Like what was some what was one of the first things where you were just like, let me start showing a little bit more of myself in these spaces. Right. God, that's a great question. I mean, I've been very lucky. Like I, I've been lucky that I've always been employed. I always had a job. I always had someone that would, even when I, like when I got a job, I always kind of got along with everyone. So I, and I, and, and I was kind of, again, I was a very kind of happy, good, lucky type of person. So everyone around me felt like I was a fun guy type of thing. So it, it was easy for me to, I honestly, the, the one thing that I think I started doing it was being a funny guy, I think, was the first thing that I thought, you know what? No matter what I do, if it was a funny guy, people are going to think I'm all right. And I think through being a funny person, I started testing the waters and being more vocal and saying things that I probably wouldn't say. And I think I got a long way by just being a funny guy. Like, because I feel like people wouldn't take me seriously. They're like, oh, yeah, Barney's kind of joking, but he, he did kind of say it but he is kind of jokingly saying it. Right. And I think that comedy and, and being humorous and being funny was a way for me to like do something and, and feel like I wouldn't get in trouble because, hey, it was a joke. I was kind of joking around. But if he right, took right. it seriously, then, then let's keep it moving type of thing. So yeah. I think comedy was a way that I started like, <laughs> started just, and I, I actually remember the day that this happened to me. I It was in college. But it's, it's, it's a way you're showing your personality. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was in college and I, I was dating this girl. She was like, God, this is going to get me in trouble. But she was a, a international student from the UK. And she was out here 
And she would hang out with all this white people, right? It's, everyone was white. And all her friends were like also international students. So I just didn't know. Like, I really liked this girl, but I, I didn't know. Like, how am I going to get in there? Like, I got to figure this out. Like, I don't know what she's saying. I couldn't understand her accent very much. And I felt like I wasn't speaking correctly. And I remember like my friend said, hey, she likes you, but if you don't make a move, like you're going to lose it, right? And I remember thinking like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make her laugh. If I make her laugh, it, it, this is going to carry on. So it's going to help me a little bit, right? So I started being funny around her and her friends. And that was very much like a win for me. And I think ever since that day, I kind of used humor as a way to kind of break the ice and get through like difficult moments where I felt insecure. Well, you know what they say. If you make her giggle, you can make those cheeks. Oh, oh. <laughs> if you make her giggle, you can make them cheeks wiggle. <laughs> Some wiggling did happen. Let me just say <laughs> it, was, it, it worked out for me at that time. So, but for sure, I mean, again, a lot of it could have just been me growing in my youth and, and evolving and just coping with the world. But I think in addition to like the day-to-day -day stuff, I think I had other pressures that were kind of piled on top of me that made me feel like, okay, I need to try a little harder to get through this moment. And yeah. your brain just kind of figures it out and you just kind of keep going. I'm wondering, like, did she in many ways, like represent all white people to you? And you were like, damn, if my, like, I know I'm funny in Spanish. I know I'm funny <laughs> to, to, to Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, right? right? They get the jokes, but I don't know if my humor will translate to white people, right? right? Like, oh, I'm taking this to the office. <laughs> I, again, for sure. Yeah, this is, again, this is my first kind of step at like trying something different. And yeah. I would definitely felt like, okay, this is resonating. So I would just continue to do it. And when I found myself in a professional environment where things weren't working out, or maybe I was feeling insecure, the humor thing would kick in. And it was my way of like, oh, I'm going to get through this meeting by just kind of saying a couple of funny things. And then yeah. people would just overlook the fact that I have an accent or maybe overlook the fact that I am the only black guy in here. And obviously, again, wanting to be likable and accepted. I think humor became that thing that I clinged on to for a long time. I love that. I mean, it's I think it's funny that when you think about traditional professionalism. Right. I think of someone that is like very stoic, zero emotion. I mean, look at LinkedIn, like they just came out with a laughing emoji as a reaction, oh, like, like last year, and they've been around for decades, right? Right. So this idea of humor in a professional setting, it's another one of those like taboo things like, no, like leave that at home. We're here to get work done. And like, <laughs> why can't both of those things be true? Well, like, why can't fun be part of the process? Right. Like, it makes no sense to me. But right. I love that gave you a little bit more of the confidence to open up in other ways. So you're saying like, once you started opening up and showing a little bit more your personality, were you more comfortable doing the things that you were uncomfortable with as far as like giving an opinion during the meeting? Yeah, I think so. I think I feel like that was I mean, obviously, my career kept growing over time. So to me, I felt like uh, I was doing the right thing uh, by using humor to get through life, I guess. Right. It was working out for me. I. You know, it helped me be likable with my coworkers, be likable with my managers or directors at the time. And it's just a funny guy. And and yeah, so then I and I, I feel like I'm the kind of person that when people really get to know me and I feel comfortable around a group, then I then my personality just comes out. And so over time, like it was almost like an icebreaker. 
it was a very long icebreaker, but it was almost like an icebreaker. It would help me kind of let people know like, hey, look, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm a funny guy. And then once I, I felt accepted, I would feel more comfortable to then say things. So it did help me kind of get through kind of those tough moments. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So how do you think you were received after you started showing a little bit of your personality? Like, did people take you seriously? Did, did people think you were not taking the job seriously? Like, how do you right. think you were received? I mean, I feel like I was, it was a positive reception. I think, uh, again, it, it, when I look at my trajectory, it did help me grow in my career. And so, yeah, no, I think I, it was well-received. I think that I, again, I'm thinking back, I feel like me making others feel comfortable around me would, would be a benefit to me. And I think that was my strategy then. And it worked. I mean, it, it was working then I, I wouldn't do it the same way. But it, it was working then, and I felt like at the time I felt it was what I needed to do just to kind of get ahead, right? Mm. And you so, you yeah. said you are you saying that you would have done things differently if you sort of went back? I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like we think how we are now. I'm like, if I had this knowledge back then, I'd probably act differently. Yeah, I would, but it's not fair to say that, right? Because the times were yeah. different, right? And again, I had very little experience, and in, in many ways, it was part of my learning process. I think I'm a very different person now, but it, the person that I was then kind of got me through those moments. So, so yeah, I mean, with my mind now, I would go back and do it differently, but, but it's, it's unfair to say that, right? To my yeah. younger self. <laughs> Agreed. Cause yeah. those moments are, are lessons for you to Absolutely. be who you are now. Absolutely. So, so what about now? Who you are now? What inspires you to continue? being your most authentic self despite potentially still being the only person of color in some of these spaces right again i feel like for me i was kind of lucky that my my wife went so my wife became a she was working for like the local police department and after many years she decided that she was going to quit that career and go back to school and when she did that she decided she wanted to be a therapist and I kind of went through that journey with her, right? Because we were older. And so I kind of went through that journey of going through kind of her bachelor's degree and her master's degree. And in the beginning, I was like the person who reviewed her papers and read her stuff. So, and at, at the same time, I think that mental health was becoming a more mainstream where we are now. Obviously, it wasn't like that 10 years ago, right? So when, because she went through that process and me going through that process with her, I realized that I needed to kind of, I needed to work on some of those internal kind of negative feelings that I was having or the insecurities and other things. So again, going back to my earlier point about being authenticity starts within, I feel like I needed to do that work internally because I, I did realize that a lot of the stuff that I was doing or the way that I was acting it was me putting it on myself, right? So through her her schooling and through that process, I became very open to my feelings, my emotions, understanding that the trauma that I experienced growing up as an immigrant and some of the negative feedback that I got as a being Latino, being a person of color, being called the N-word and all these things that you don't think affect you because you're like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to brush it off. But these are like little, I was using the analogy the other day that it's like when you suffer trauma at a young age, it's like, it's like you have a car and you have a trunk and this trauma 
experiences are like baggage that you're putting in that trunk. So as you get older, if you want to put more stuff in that trunk, you have to remove some of this old baggage, right? So for me, if I wasn't, if I couldn't, if I didn't remove this old kind of trauma and 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 and, and insecurities that I had within, I wasn't going to move forward, or I was going to just keep being that same funny guy, right? So, so anyways, through that experience, I I started doing a lot of like self exploration. I did a lot of reading. I remember reading this book like like I'm too nice. He was called. It, was, it literally called I'm too nice, and it was like a breakdown of like why people act you know, like the funny guy all the time. And I realized like, wait a minute, like I am experiencing all these feelings that are being talked about in this book. I also read this other book called Psycho-Cybernetics. My, my mom is the same way, by the way. Like she is the funny person in the room, but mm -hmm. I think she often uses that as a defense mechanism to absolutely. steer away from her feelings. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying you can't be funny and also be in touch with yourself, but uh, I think a lot of us, for sure use it in that way. So I went to this journey. I started learning more about myself, accepting some of the trauma that I've had and kind of working through it. And then I, I feel, well, I guess I have to go back a little bit. So definitely being the person that I was eventually stopped working <laughs> like anything else. It just stopped working because I wasn't, I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel good about being the funny guy all the time and being the likable person and not having an opinion. I just didn't like that. And I felt like my mental health was affecting me, my stress level, and then my blood pressure. I remember going to the doctor and my blood pressure was going up and I was trying all these different things, different medications, exercising more. And no matter what I did, my doctor's like, Barney, I've been seeing you for like six months. I think your problem is stress, but you need to deal with that stress, whatever that is. It's either your pressure at your job or maybe a high paced environment that you're working in, like you need to figure it out. So and you were, so, so you were faking it. And then you thought that humor was your way of being your most authentic self. Absolutely. But then as you started continuing with the humor, the humor you found out was really masking a lot of other things that you had internally. Right. Am I understanding correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it and wasn't so until you started getting those signals as far as the doctor even confirming like, hey, this There's is a else. problem. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember being very insecure about my accent, for example. And I remember like literally not saying things because I didn't want to sound stupid. Right. I remember being insecure about being the only black person in the room and whether I, or not I would be taken serious. I also felt sometimes like that I was the only black person in the room because I was chosen to be the only black person in the room. Right. Like, like I was a token black guy, like, hey, our department needs to be more diverse. So we're going to pick this guy to be here. And like thinking back, I didn't feel the way at the moment, but realizing that didn't make me feel good. So again, all these things just started kind of like bundling up and I, my blood pressure was out of control. I remember having like a really bad stomach issues and my wife telling me like, you know what, like you need to deal with some of these other feelings that you're having. And, and luckily it all happened around the same time my wife was going to school. So it kind of made sense to me. And once I started dealing with my internal feelings, that's when I realized like, okay, I can't no longer be this happy go lucky guy that everybody likes. And I need to start being my authentic self. And once I started doing that, I started finding like this relief and 
I started just becoming a, a fuller person, right? And then I also noticed that my career started elevating and getting better. I became a manager. I started managing why, other people. And why did you think? Why do you think your your career started accelerating? I feel it's because I was I was more outspoken, right? I was giving my opinions. I was I was being more authentic at work. I remember like I remember growing this beard was like a, a sign of me <sighs> being a rebel against the old me. And because I always wanted to be very clean cut, right? At work, Same. always clean cut, looking nice. And then I say, you know what? F that. I'm just going to grow a beard. I always wanted to do it. And I remember growing a beard at work and coming into work with a beard and, and like as a form of like rebellion, like like I'm this new person now. And I thought that he was going to like hinder me from a lot of things. And he did. It was like the complete opposite. Like because of the negative thoughts that we talked ourselves into. Yeah. yeah like no one, like, no one told you that you were no just make, right. three months after me getting this beard. Like I remember getting promoted and becoming an art director and managing a creative team. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this whole time I could have just been myself. Right. And the more that I became myself, the more successful I felt. And also the more at peace I felt with myself. So, so anyways, that's, that's kind of how it happened and, and, and how I, I kind of, kind of turned the leaf and then became the person I am now. So how did, I want to get back to like, how did you spark that self-discovery journey? It sounds like you did a lot of reading mm -hmm. and then you said you did a lot of like reflection potentially, but like, how did you do that reflection? Like, did you journal? Did you talk to people? Like, so, what did you do? so I, I read this book, it's called uh, Psycho Cybernetics and it's the, it's a book that deals with the self, right? Like, like looking within, looking deeply within and, and dealing with that person inside and then trying to figure out why that person is acting or doing certain things. And obviously the book gives you a lot of technique techniques and tips and, and ways to overcome that. So for me, for sure, meditation was a, a way for me to stop moving, stop talking, sit down and really understand some of these feelings, right? I think affirmations and another way that I started doing self-affirmations just to feel that boost of confidence that I didn't have. I So I think that the affirmations was a way to for me to like be the person I wanted to be. Like, I want to be this confident person. How do I get there? Well, let me start telling myself that I am that confident person. So affirmations is a, was a great way for me to like speak the way that I wanted to speak to myself. So affirmations, meditation, and just becoming more open and aware about the things that I experienced and understanding that there are other people experiencing the same thing and that I no longer can be this guy because I need to start now maybe helping other people overcome some of the insecurities that I had, which that's is a, where, where I started my mentoring program and all that. That's a big deal is realizing that you're not the only one going through something. Mm -hmm. Because when you think you're the only one going through something, you think that you're the problem. Absolutely. When you're not the problem. It, it, it almost like makes you feel human and normal. Right. Absolutely. 100%. I remember I was talking to my therapist at one point and she was like, Pavel, do you think you're my only client? Like, you think I could pay my bills with just you? Yeah. Like, right. impossible. Like, you know how many clients I have? We all talk right. about the same thing. You know what right. I mean? Obviously right. not the same exact thing, but the same general topics. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? anxiety, sex, work, you know what I mean? Like all of right. the friendships, relationships, like same topics, like we're all just figuring it out. And when she said that, it took the weight off my shoulders to realize like, oh shit, yeah, it's not just me. Everybody's just sort of like going through these things. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, obviously having a therapist at home, <laughs> my wife is funny because she'll just, she'll just, she'll just drop a hint. <laughs> and then I'm like, like, she's like, yo, like read, read this. Yeah. She'll just plant the seed and then I'll go away. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. And then I start thinking about that thing and I'm like, damn it. She just did it to me again. So, so it, it, for sure, having a therapist at home contributed a lot to who I am today. So moving forward, what inspires you to continue being your most authentic self? Yeah. I, again, I think, so what inspires me the most now is, and I hate to sound like an old guy because I, you hear like older people telling you that when you were younger, but for sure, the younger generation, especially the younger generation of like black and brown designers and creatives, mm -hmm. is like the thing that keeps me going. Because once I started doing mentoring and in the beginning, my mentorship was strictly for black and brown folks. And ever since then, I've kind of expanded it because I feel like as creatives, we deal with very specific stressors, right? So I thought that I could be of better help if I expanded my mentorship to more folks. But in the beginning for like the first year, I was mostly meeting with black and brown folks. And I started listening a lot of very familiar stories, very familiar feelings, very familiar struggles. And I started realizing like, okay, this is, I can help. This is, I could do, this is easy for me because I've been there where you've been. And I know exactly what I can say to maybe get you past this moment. So, so talking to the younger generation again for my mental health is great because it makes me feel like I'm contributing and helping. And then on the creative side, dealing with talking to younger uh, designers and creatives, like my mind is like going a thousand miles an hour because they're fueling me. Like I'm, I feel like I'm healing them and they're fueling me because they're giving me that energy that I need for my creativity, but also for kind of my own personal mental health. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuitas podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor. Like, share, comment, wherever you're listening, please leave a rating and review. This just helps ensure that these experiences get heard by as many people as possible. And that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. See you next time.